Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. This is an interactive, interactive interactive podcast designed for audience participation. Come talk, talk, talk. text chat, or listen live at TalkShoe.com. Cellar dwellers, home wine making talk. Well, it's not working at all. Let's try that again. Take two. That's a lot better. Welcome to Cellar Dwellers Home Wine Making Talkcast with Dave Nelson and the other guy. You know, I'm going to have to write Steve Jobs That's about right. this, uh, this this iPod thing. This the the, the quality audio portion of the show <laughs> gone downhill. Gone way downhill. Oh man. Jeez. We're not using the same technology we used last week. We've taken a step back in the See, name Dave, of convenience. What is that? An eight track of the music? <laughs> a, Can you pull that thing out of your car from under the, I the think dashboard and take it with a, you? A four track there. Uh, you know, for for y'all just joining, I got to say that the pre-show tonight we had. Uh, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, we had uh, ten minutes. We were sort of uh, on the internet before we got started with the recording, and uh, we had a call from the legend, Pierre Benchy, who was on with us last week talking about uh, oak. Oak, but oak in a different form. Oak not as a barrel, but as chips or shavings or powders, and. Um, Pierre has said he's heading off to Europe, but he is going to show up here in the studios in late November. That's what he said, late November, with a 1962 Bordeaux. So uh, why would he waste something like that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Uh, It's it's very hard to explain, but you know what? You don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh, Pierre, we are... Uh, yes, uh, sorry, it, it, we've had some glitches here at the start of the show, as usual. Actually, this this whole show is about glitches, sound glitches, and so on. But uh, a 62 Bordeaux, you know, I don't... Well, we can trade him an 05 Yellowtail. <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. Well, hey, it is the Cellar Dwellers back with the uh, another home winemaking talk cast. This is episode 25, and it is a special Halloween edition. Ooh, a little spooky. Ah, now that, spooky was, a, night. that was a good sound effect there. We've well, been trick-or-treating. We have been trick-or-treating. We took the, which took the kids around the neighborhood. Pretty so much we're all seriously sugared out here. Yeah, buzzed on sugar, although my favorite house that we visited tonight was the, um, the one right across the street from where I live, where they were serving... Uh, well, they gave the Witches kids brew. the biggest, yes, the biggest candy bar thing I've ever seen. That must have had like six candy bars in there. But they were giving the adults, as the other guy says, the witch's brew. That was Quite good tasty. stuff. Quite tasty. More or less a margarita, but uh, what a treat. Well, who are we? Who are we? 
<laughs> Who are you? The Cellar Dwellers. The Cellar Dwellers. I'm Dave Nelson, and you are? The other guy. The, the passionate one. On Halloween night. And remember, the more you drink, the better we sound. Unless, of course, you're out trick-or-treating and you're wearing dark clothing, you've forgotten anything reflective, in which case we recommend that you not drink, just let us talk. No, sound bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let us talk, too. But, hey, don't don't drink while trick-or-treating in black clothing. It uh, could lead to some tragedy. Happy Halloween to all the listeners. It's an amazing night. Now, we are going to share our our distributed Internet wine tasting, a little bit of uh, listener email, some wine news, and tonight for... Wine making, actually, they're not even just wine making errors. Just they're things that go defects in wine. Wrong with wine, and, period. Right? And what I like about this show is it's it's this is equally useful if you are a home winemaker or if you are uh, just, just a at a consumer, restaurant, right, right? Exactly. So, and and we'll also help you understand four things that aren't actually defects in in wine. Commonly, maybe some people to be think they're defects. So, right. um, so let's get into it. Let's start with the. Um, the, the, the internet wine tasting. It's not virtual because many of our listeners are actually in parallel tasting the real thing. What do we have tonight, passionate one? Tonight we have opened a bottle of Alderbrook 2002 Old Vine Zinfandel from Dry Creek Valley. And I see that um, Mike had a tough time, couldn't find the wine tonight. And I got it here in uh, Pennsylvania in the liquor store. The wine and spirit store. So uh, I, we did get it here. Hopefully, uh, some other folks were able to find it and pick it up. Alder or Alder Brook. And how much did we pay Dry for this? Dry Creek Valley, more or less. And and since David is not with us, he's probably out there trick or treating. Now you notice there's no receipt taped to this <laughs> bottle because I bought this bottle. And quite honestly, yeah. I forget what I paid for it. Probably about I think I went over my normal twelve dollar budget and went to about fourteen or fifteen bucks for this. Yeah, so that means David paid nine nine ninety nine in California. That's probably correct. All right, so um, that's what we're tasting tonight. And by the way, I see from Mike that uh, Mike and um, Jerry have actually obtained some grapes from Carl. They they got 90% Cab, 10% Merlot, which is a nice combination because uh, you can always soften a Cab with a little Merlot. That's a classic Bordeaux blend. That sounds like a great idea. Uh, what type or where did you get the um, – where, where was the Cab from? Do you know? Uh, other than it was from Carl, but well, yeah, um, but where in California? Well, I wonder if it was the same. Uh, what ours was from? Where this year? From an uh, 06. same as 05. Uh, Lindy, Lindy Vineyard. Valley. Uh, Lindy Vineyards. A uh, Lindy Vineyard. Yeah, which was in the. Um, it's in Sonoma. In fact, I think it's in Dry Creek area. Was it not? I don't know. <laughs> Good question. How quickly we forget. It's lucky we'll we write these things Carl. down. Actually, uh, the quick update, since we were last on the air, we are working on fermenting our Syrah right now. We've got 1,100 pounds of Syrah in progress, and um, happy to report that we split the batch, as we usually do, and we've got uh, approximately 40% of it fermenting with a Pasteur red yeast, and 60% of it uh, fermenting with the Lalvin RC212, which are... Two delightful 
red wine yeasts. And the, the whole trick here is that different yeasts expose different flavors, different essences. We will recombine them at the point that we do the pressing. And at this point, I think you are going to be pressing on your own. I might be, because you are I'm, headed to Hawaii. I'm headed Friday. to Hawaii. And, in fact, we are not going to be on the air next week unless I get really inspired and call in from Hawaii, five-hour time zone difference. But I think we'll be back in two weeks. So make a note on your calendar. If you, if you haven't subscribed to this show, make sure you click subscribe on our TalkCast page. And uh, remember, this show is designed for interactivity, whether it's tasting interactivity or Q&A or chatting us your comment. And uh, you can contact us. You can reach us at uh, cellardwellers at talkshoe.com. You can download the software TalkShoe and chat us some questions with TalkShoe Live. Or you can actually call in to our show on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 2 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time. If you're calling from Europe or Australia or whatever, uh, translate to GMT. And uh, just remember, the number here is 724-444-7444. That's a new way to say it. So do, do I sound cool? All divisible by four. And uh, our talk cast ID is 18, which uh, a little math will reveal is also distributed uh, divisible by four. <laughs> or not. Well, we're working on it. <laughs> well, that, yeah, the seven maybe we're by next on. show. The seven we're working on, some complex math. Can, right. I, can, I, can I get to the, the wine for two weeks from tonight? Oh, oh okay, can but I? I do have to say that um, our, our buddy is, um, uh, by the ID name of some dude, is listening in Australia where he says the cost of the Alderbrook would be amazing. I mean, if we sent him a bottle, it would cost us $100 in shipping. We tried that once. We learned our lesson. We don't ship wine to either Australia or New Zealand or pretty much anywhere out of the country. We could point. buy good audio equipment for what it would cost. <laughs> no, we definitely <laughs> a bottle could. Of wine to Australia. Absolutely. By the way, Alpha King, did you get a bottle of the uh, Alderbrook today? Are you uh, tasting along with us? Because we see from Mike that uh, he wasn't able to get the Alderbrook, although he does have. Uh, he does have something else in the old vines in he category. He uh, Bogle. Bogle. I, Bogle. I don't. I don't even know that one. Oh, Bogle is a very nice winery. That okay, should be. Plus, that should be pretty I, close. I looked all over the place and could not find that vineyard, though I know I've seen it before. So I'm drinking two. I've got a Ravenswood '88 Sonoma County <laughs> and a '88 um, a Pacenti. 1999. Oh, man. Wow. We're big fans of Ravenswood, uh, no matter what. And uh, 88, that must be incredible. Well, that's Mm going to make it a little bit different because I believe that uh, we're all drinking different wines tonight. It's a spooky (laughs) night. night. All right. Perfectly appropriate for Halloween. I, I see, by the way, Mike says he'll be in Kauai the week after next. I'm not going to be in Kauai, but I am going to do Oahu. I've become a major, major fan of World War II, so this time, unlike 20 years ago, I am going to the Arizona Memorial, but we're spending most of our time on Maui. should be a blast. I mean, 10 days in Hawaii, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, so what is our wine, passionate one, for Oh, in two weeks. Two weeks. Let's when we come back right together to, let's again. Let's get right to that. We are go- well. In our ongoing efforts to attract French sponsors, which we haven't, been <laughs> we're not very effective very, at that. But uh, haven't been doing a very good job. We've not with given that. up yet. We are going to totally switch gears. 
We're going to take a trip across the pond to our French brothers, and we are going to be drinking a bottle of Cote du Rhone Parallel 45. Now, I have been drinking this wine, I have to say, for a number of years, and I think it's one of the best deals out there. Uh, we will be drinking, we will go with a, oh, let's say an 05, an 04 or an 05. Uh, in fact, there is a, a rating in the most recent Wine Spectator. It has an 88 rating, and it's showing $12 there. We get it for 10 or 11 here in Pennsylvania, so it's going to be 8 or 9 or 10 anywhere else. And did and, you say um, it will be, it will be fun. Do Rome. Goats Do Rome. Goats That's another wine we could try. That's a that's totally from, different wine, that's though, right? That's New Zealand or Australia. Goats do Rhone. All right. I say we do the Goats du Rhone in uh, two weeks, but then we should consider the Goats du Rhone thereafter. I think we could do that. And let's but just roll right into Fat Bastard and into the other cleverly named wines <laughs> while we're on the topic. <laughs> but in two weeks, it's Parallel 45, and uh, it'll be interesting because we'll have some of the French terroir. We'll uh, see what type of... Um, you know, it has a little bit more mineral taste. We've been hitting the American wines pretty heavy here and the Zins and things, so it'll be a nice nice change. It's brilliant. All right. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the show. We heard you got some uh, good Cabernet and some Merlot, which is fantastic. All right. So, um, Passionate One, what are you tasting in this old vine Zinfandel? Since part of the idea of the distributed Internet wine tasting is to sort of share what um, what comes across here. Now, I should say our palates are already heavily contaminated with chocolate, uh, along with uh, you know Musketeers, Milky Way. Uh, we had a lot of bit of honeys and some Mary Janes. But uh, what do you get out of that? And then, now I didn't really set up my whole deal for tonight, but we're going to try a little bit of the chocolate. We've got this uh, Dagobah, which I believe was in the uh, in the Star Wars movie. But Wait, Dagobah, who, you call, 50, who, you, who are you calling a Dagobah? Wait a minute, fifty nine percent. Dark chocolate cocoa, and see how that changes the flavor here. But what do you taste just straight up out of the uh, Old Vine O2 Alderbrook Zinfandel? First of all, more oak than I'm used to in a Zin, quite frankly. Um, but always the nice pepper, uh, some raspberry, the nice spice, but definitely more oak I'm tasting in this than, than usual for a, for a Zin. Let me try it with some of the chocolate. And what was the idea with the chocolate? To taste, have some fat. Uh, Correct. You are exactly right. And um, we're going to have to get into this more in, in future shows. By the way, Jerry, welcome to the audio portion of the show. Uh, did you line up uh, an Alderbrook, uh, or are you also drinking something totally different than all the rest of us? Actually, um, how are you doing, Dave? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have that lined up. I actually because it's Halloween. It, it's a tradition around here to have mulled red wine, so that's what I'm drinking right now. Oh, ah, you know, that's a we, great idea. We used to have a neighbor. Um, where did uh, where did she come from? It was Holland, I think, and she introduced us in the neighborhood to these uh, mulled red wines, where they boil the red wines and they put in different uh, oh, like oranges and cinnamon and all these different spices and and I must say a mulled red wine is a a grand idea for for Halloween and all winter after skiing it's wonderful all right we'll try that at a future show but uh we brought the chocolate because it is a fat and a fat will change the perception of taste from whatever wine you're sampling 
uh, after you eat it. And maybe different cheeses or chocolates will have different effects, but I was interested in just experimenting with this. So take a sip of the, um, the Zin, uh, take a bite of the chocolate, and, and see what you get. You know, fat does alter your taste of wine. Uh, and uh, As I gain weight, and I enjoy wine even more. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That's, that, that is a spectacular chocolate. It better be for $2 an ounce. Sorry. Gosh, I'm surprised you don't have the receipt taped to the wrapper. Oh, you didn't see it. It's there. Don't worry. I'm curious to know... Hey, and Jeffrey, the, welcome to the show. We're um, just getting into this thing, tasting um, our Zinfandel and eating chocolate. How the 88 Ravenswood. I don't believe I've ever had a Zin that old. So is that what, um, I think that's what Alpha King said. He was having um, an 88? 88, is that what it Ravenswood? is? Uh, 88, Sonoma County. Wow. I've never kept a Zin that long. I've never gone more than uh, probably four or five years. Too. I've got an old bill, which is supposed to age a real long time. Wow. Oh, man. So the Sonoma County Ravenswood. Yep, looks pretty good. What what changes in the Zin uh, over that many years? I, having never had one that old, I, I wouldn't have any idea what would happen to it. It loses its um, heavy, heavy, jammy fruitiness. and becomes more a mellow wine. Does mm. that make sense? You know, Zinfandel's are just really fruity to me. Yeah, really, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah, and Mike is actually commenting on the chat that you're going to lose some of the berry flavor. Right. Mm-hmm. Time, which I could totally, I could totally buy that. Mm-hmm. Does it get spicier though? I mean, uh, the spiciness and the uh, is what I've always in the pepper. Uh, I've always liked in a Zin. Or some you know, of that, lo- I some of that lost too. I think it's still there, but it's it's left. It, it's not a contrast with all that fruit. You know, spice and fruit is a real major clash, if you will, which is very pleasant. But when you lose that, it, it's more like an um, aged Grenache, mm-hmm. which is going to be real spicy, too. Oh, really? Grenache is spicy? Because we, we are making very spicy. Grenache. We've got... Um five Very gallons spicy. of Grenache in progress at this moment. We fermented it and we pressed it um, a week and a half ago, and we're going to use that for blending. Mm-hmm. But now Alpha King is saying that it is now, your, will the young Grenache add spice to our our uh, cab? In a very pleasant way, absolutely. Mm. And, and I'm thinking maybe a 5 or 10% blend at, at most with the Grenache. Probably five. Yeah. I don't think I'd go ten. It'll be a little potent. It's going to take away from that Cabernet, I think. Excellent. And uh, Jerry, very cool. Got your message. By the way, Tommy, welcome to the show. Please, you could join us tonight. I see you're listening along on the audio stream. Now I've got to tell you something amazing. Having the chocolate. Okay. With what this does wine, the chocolate do to the wine? I lose the fruitiness. If mm-hmm. I eat some of the chocolate and then drink the wine. I definitely taste more of the tannins and a lot less of the fruit up front, for sure. Right. In fact, maybe Isn't being Halloween, wild. I've had a little too much sugar, but this Alderbrook tastes a little bit on the um, the bitter side to me, frankly. Do you pick that up, or is it just uh, I've I've overloaded on sugar tonight? Not after, well, not after I had the chocolate. 
Okay, well, we'll um, we're going to let it breathe a little bit. We'll eat some more um, chocolate, and uh, let's get into the um, the wine news here. Um, David has composed this beautiful theme for us. Let's see if it works. If I can get my iPod going, this is high audio coming at you now. Yeah, see, I'm I'm messing that up. We got to start that over again. Uh, we got a loose connection here. <laughs> The quality of the audience. <laughs> Welcome to Cellar Dwellers Wine News. All right. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, that quite mastered the high technology of uh, the low-tech version of our of our show. We that's, did that's, so much better last week. That sounded like a Chevy with bad rotors. Oh, I know. Holy I, moly. I hope it sounds better. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> oh, recording. <laughs> you thought we sounded bad before. All right. Uh, passionate one, you have... Uh, I have some wine news. Yeah, but wine news. What What is your wine news tonight? This just in. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, there's a chive on your tooth. <laughs> One of my favorite episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Uh, I'm sorry. Keep going there, passionate one. Anyway, an October issue of the Wine Spectator under Wine and Health. You know, we're very health conscious around here. And the title of the article is Some Wine Grapes Contain Sleep Aid Study Fine. Oh, a sleep aid. A sleep aid. So I now have an excuse for why I pass out after drinking. Two or three bottles of wine, I am sound asleep. Uh, 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 And they are receiving government money to find this out? uh, Why don't they just call us? Brilliant. Tax dollars in action. Well, anyway, leave it up to the Italians. The Italian scientists... Found in the Journal of the Science Wait, wait, wait. Of Italian food. scientist? Isn't that like an oxymoron? Oh, boy, there goes our Italian sponsor. <laughs> My goodness. Okay, French babies, we need you back. Well, anyway, in the Journal of Science and Food and Agriculture, apparently a, a publication in Italy, found that many wine varieties contain melatonin and known sleep aid. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. So... Yes, and they found that, um, is it Nebbiolo? <laughs> I have no idea. Varietal, a, a, an Italian Oh, varietal. I need to bring out my, bring, bring, uh, break out my bring pronunciation out guide here. Um, was, had the highest concentration of melatonin. Um, they also believe that um, the wine likely retains melatonin after fermentation, but its levels are going to vary widely among different types of varieties. Um, so that's big news to me. But anyway, in a side experiment, the researchers treated a Merlot sample with benzothiodiazole, a hormone known to elicit plant defenses. Defending what? I don't know what. Uh, which nearly tripled the Merlot's melatonin levels. This finding could be important in the clinical application of melatonin. All right, so uh, if I get sleepy after I drink a wine, that there's a reason for it. It's not the alcohol in the wine. It's the melatonin. Well, they're trying to find all, all, every angle they can. This with, is some guy wine, making but, up an excuse. But I, I can't believe they've got, they actually got state funding to tell you that drink <laughs> wine makes you sleepy. sleepy. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. a good one. All right, uh, maybe we can get some state funding for this show since the French sponsors aren't coming through. All right, well, let's, uh, let's keep moving on. I have uh, an interesting article here called The uh, Folio Fine Wine Partners Launch an Innovative Wine Finding Tool. 
don't try to say that seven times fast. This comes out of uh, Napa Valley and the Folio Fine Wine Partners. They make a whole bunch of different brands. They've released something, and I've got it right here on the screen in front of you, passionate one, called the Wine Driver. Here's how it works. You click on the Wine Driver, and you say what brand do you want. Now, they've got all sorts of brands, um, and I don't even know all of these, but uh, everything from uh, Claude Dominic to uh, Hang Time, that sounds like a fun one, to Medusa, to Oberon, to Spellbound. Okay, so let's say we want Spellbound Wine. Anyone can go to the site. This is foliowine.com slash finder slash foliofinder.php. We find the uh, brand Spellbound. We then say we want the Petite Syrah varietal, and then you choose your state. Now, this is very helpful to those of us in PA that can't get the good stuff most places. We say Pennsylvania, and then you click Enter, and it comes back and it tells you where in Pennsylvania to find this specific spellbound Petite Syrah. And, um, well, that's, this is an easy website oh, to put up. I mean, you, well, for Pennsylvania, it, it just comes up not. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I'm sorry, your wine was not found. The neat thing cool. is it brings up the spellbound label. I like their label here. It's all black. It's got a half-moon Petite Syrah, California. And you scroll down, it says, print this page, take it to your local wine re retailer, and then they give you the name of a distributor. In this case, we go to Capital Wine and Spirits, so 129 Hartman Road, North Wales, PA. I believe that's about 250 miles from here, but you know what? I commend these guys for taking a shot at helping us find, find fine wine in Pennsylvania. That's or cool. any other state. So way to go. Brilliant application. New application of the I Internet. I absolutely like it. love it. All right, so um, we should wrap up our wine news here. Do you have any more wine news items you want to cover? Oh, passionate one. I think you had one other one over there, don't you? Oh, <laughs> sorry. That melatonin was kicking in. <laughs> it's either that or I was listening to an Al Gore speech. I don't know which one it was, but I was sound asleep. What, were you saying something about the Internet and I'm Bell asking, Bell? do you have more wine news over there? I do, but I think that's enough wine news. All right, that. enough wine news for I, Halloween. Uh, yeah, okay, this so other one was about fat French one. ladies, and I'm not, I don't want to read about them. All right, so we'll see if we can make the wine news theme go here. There, oh, there, there, there goes the fat rotors again. Outro. I like that. That's brilliant. That was, by the way, user-generated content coming from our buddy David in California. He uh, created that whole wine news theme for us. Completely natural, uh, spinning his finger on on wine glasses and popping corks and so on. Okay, Great let's, job. Although let's what move he said, on. it sounded sound a, a lot, lot better, better than what we are <laughs> playing not, back there. Not quite going out uh, right uh, across the uh, Internet. Okay, uh, you know what? We had more downloads of our show this week than we've ever had, but we only got one email back. So I'm not sure what we did wrong. Uh, people are loving the show, but email us. We want to hear your questions or your criticism or your compliments at sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com. But the one email we got came in from Jay Johnson uh, from uh, our buddy in Ohio who's been into making all sorts of homemade wines. And he says, last show we were complaining about barrels. And by the end of the show, we were convinced we're pretty much done with barrels. We're not going to do barrels anymore. We're going to carboys or stainless steel, and we're going to have oak chips or oak powders or oak We did. That, that's, that's a big decision. When the oak barrels have outlived their usefulness, we are, we, 
we are now committed to steel containers. Right. Well, uh, Jay comes forward with a um, an email. He says, if you have wine in your barrels, I'll buy a couple right now as is. So, Jay, it's My kind one, of guy. one heck of an offer. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Mike, we really should make our email more visible on our show page. And, uh, well, just keep the feedback coming, folks. That's it for the email for the week. So, you know what? The good thing is we keep the pace of the show moving here. Let's just move right on into the, the meat of the show. Not that there is any real meat to this show, but uh, we did promise we would talk about the four most common defects in wine. Now, let's start with things that are not defects, but that people may complain about from time to time. All right, so you go into a restaurant. This has happened to me pretty much half the time. You order a wine, and it's just on the disappointing side. There's nothing wrong with it. It's got but at, what, at what point did you decide it's disappointing? When you first taste it, or as we know and we've talked about on the show, some wines have, might take an hour to open up. Well, that's so a great point. So there you are complaining 10 minutes into the bottle, and the guy in, in the sommeliers in the back saying, the idiot at table 14 is complaining about the wine. He didn't let it breathe long enough. That's a brilliant point. So maybe one shouldn't complain in the first five minutes. Let it, let it breathe, swirl it around a little bit, open up. I'd say after half an hour. But the, the point is, you get a bad wine or not a bad wine, a wine that you don't necessarily like. It's not spectacular. It doesn't have the you know wonderful flavors and essences and complexity. But that's not uh, a, a defect in the wine. That's just a wine you don't like. That's it right. may not be uh, you know the right, uh, who knows, varietal or complexity or price or cost or you know just doesn't taste right to you. But that's not a reason to send the wine back. Now, Another reason not to send a wine back, you get a, a bottle where the um, the label is damaged. I mean, that's, you know, you might not be no, happy about it. Most of my it, but labels are damaged. It's been you, in the cellar you, more you, than you, five you, years. You, you, you don't even put labels on most of your wine. That's why I hate getting a bottle that has a damaged label. <laughs> See, you're used to the pristine, clean, unlabeled bottles. Okay, I got it. But, um, okay, so that's that's not that's not damaged. That's, that doesn't qualify as a defect. That's correct. In fact, um, in fact, some of the best wines I've ever purchased at a restaurant, the labels have been They've damaged. been around a while, yeah, and sure. the labels are bad. They're I mean, a mess, especially yeah. if they were water-soluble labels. Half of them are missing or half gone. You'll so never get me to say anything bad about a wa- water-soluble label. No, because me they either. Just, they come right on off. Okay, now another thing that uh, you often find in wines that is not a defect is you'll find those the, the precipitants, those white crystals in the bottom. That is uh, very typical for a wine that uh, is usually a tartaric acid that has precip- precipitated out, but it could be any other number of things, but that's quite normal, especially if you've got an unfiltered wine. So that's not a defect. You're going to find that. And, you know, the fourth thing that is not a, a, a defect, a wine is not what you might call corked just because it's got some cork particles in it. In fact, uh, it, it, with a, a wine that's been around a while, if it hasn't been recorked, the cork may disintegrate in part when you open it up. Uh, that's that's not a defect. There is a way, um, and, and this takes a bit of a trick, but there is a way you can swirl the wine and throw out just a little bit that's on the top with that cork. Although, my personal preference is I, I don't like to waste any wine, so I will pour it into a glass and fish it out with a spoon or whatever. I mean, 
I'm not picky. As long as I can get that cork out there instead of in my mouth, what the heck? I've fished cork out of your glasses and sucked the wine out of it, so we didn't lose anyone. I notice you use very large spoons. By the way. Yes? Let me ask you this. If you did have a bottle that you thought was maybe a bit off, have you ever had the sommelier taste the wine? Wouldn't that be the appropriate thing to do? And if they were really on the up and up and it really was off, I'm sure they would say, this wine is off. Sorry, Mr. Nelson. Let me get you, let me suggest another bottle. They're, I think they're That's very, what I would do. I think they're very well trained, and that is exactly what they would do. So I, I love your suggestion. Uh, pull the guy in. Probably one person out of a thousand thinks to do that, and let him render his opinion. And by the way, then you'll have a partner in crime. I mean, he's going to he's gonna know as well as you that the wine is corked right. or that the wine is fine. It's what it's supposed to take, taste like, and he'll render his opinion. And, um, you know, I, I, I find most of these um, uh, sommeliers are very much into service. They want you to be happy, and they're going to uh, partner with you in making sure you get something that you like. Well, that brings us, though, to the first of the true defects in wine. And again, the, the cool thing about this is these are defects that occur both in professional wines and in homemade wines. And that first defect is something we've talked about on previous shows, um, a corked wine. Um, a corked wine is the result of um, what's called TCA. Now, do you remember what TCA, trichloroacetic, Cita something. I, I'm going to have to go back and review a previous Acronym podcast. Acronym for, for some big but, hefty word. Yeah, the idea is that corks are a natural product. They are you know, cut from trees. They are aged out in the open air. And then they are ultimately treated with, often treated with, now they're trying to move away from this, but treated with chlorine, which is the C part of the TCA. And... Uh, I guess the bottom line is a corked wine is going to taste a little bit like a, I don't know, a wet basement, dirty socks. Musty. Uh, yeah, musty. And, you know, frankly, I don't even, I personally, I don't know if everyone feels this way, but I don't personally hate the flavor of corked wine. It To me, it okay, tastes our, a little bit. Our listeners bit... are getting some insight into you right now. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, bearing my soul here. A corked wine to me will taste a little bit like sort of the mold you smell in a wine cellar. Let me ask and there's you something. something. Do, you, do you smell your socks after you jog? <laughs> <laughs> You're jogging. I'm, I'm going to have to edit this whole part out of the show. I've totally blown my reputation. Holy moly! I, honestly, I can't stand corked wine. Seriously, so it's horrible. They, they say that that perhaps five to seven percent of wine is actually corked. We did a show. It's it's a bad, even higher than bad cork. Some people yeah. say 10, but are you saying that out of the bottles you've tasted, maybe 1 in 15, 1 in 10 would well, be the there's, probabilities? There's, are you finding that many that are actually corked and you're, you're sending them back or pouring them down the drain or whatever? No, but what, what, the, what the, the study didn't qualify is how many, a, how many years a wine was aged because typically most of the wine that I'm purchasing, I'm not – uh, aging for more than a couple of years. So it's really not fair to sample that younger wine for corked wines, for corked bottles. You know what I mean? If you're if you're aging wines, finer wines, for 8, 10 plus years, I'm sure the percentage of corked wines goes up dramatically. It would have to. 
Would you agree? Which is why I'm back to the argument in favor of caps. <laughs> well, I was going to go exactly there. The idea is that uh, how, as a home winemaker or even a professional winemaker, do you prevent corked wines? The only way to do it is to not use corks. So you either use the, 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 the caps, which we've done for the first time this year, or you use those glass stoppers that we read about that the guys at Alcoa claim are taking over the world, although nobody we know has ever seen one. So I think that was somebody's really great marketing efforts. Get a claim it's taking over the world before it's released. Yeah, well, maybe they've sold them and they're like in the bottles that are aging right now and they're going to show up in the market soon. No, I don't know. One of those. Give the marketing guys some, uh, some uh, I don't know, benefit of the doubt. By the way, I see that... Um, that um, our our buddy in Australia has answered what time it is. It's 12.35 there now, p.m. on Wednesday. We're still back here on Tuesday, Halloween, at 9.35. Uh, that's that's um, pretty amazing, you know, different times in different places. What, do you want me to back well, up? Well, yeah, we wanted to, I wanted to back up. Mike had a comment here to see if folks are smell. We talked about this, about smelling the cork. At a restaurant, of course. Nah. What See, kind of no, knucklehead no, no. smells the cork? No, I don't think smelling the cork. It's a great, actually, it's a great question by Mike. Do you smell the cork, and can you determine anything from that? And I say no. I think the only value of examining the cork is it'll give you a sense of whether the cork has maintained its integrity. If you if see it's crumbling apart, in right, your if it's crumbling apart, or you see the dark wine stains along right. the outside, then you maybe have some hint that your wine is oxidized or, um, you know, some somehow otherwise damaged. But I don't think, my personal opinion, smelling the cork does not tell you that the wine is corked. And a lot of times, people will see mold on the outside of the cork that says nothing about what's happened to the wine and uh, could even be misleading. Mold on the outside of the cork is not necessarily a bad thing and certainly does not relate to a wine being corked. Right. Mold so, on the outside of the chicken that you're having with the wine could be another could be story. a problem. All right, so that's the uh, number one most common defect in wine. Let's go on to number two, and that is wine that is oxidized. Aha. Now, I will say, as a home winemaker, we ended up with a bit of oxidized wine last year, and we haven't decided exactly what we're going to do with this yet. It's still sitting down in my basement in a three-gallon carboy, and we're going to have to figure it out. The, uh, the issue here is that if you allow a wine to be exposed to air, it, uh, the best thing for me, the best way to describe it from my perspective is that it starts to pick up a port-like taste. That's probably the best way I can put it. It also starts to lose its, its nice, bright, purpley colors and starts to move a lot more towards brick. Um, it just sort of gets flat, too, doesn't it? Just sort of, yeah, I think to me, it, it loses any upfront fruit that it, that the equivalent homemade wine or wine would have had that was not oxidized. Totally agreed. So this can happen, in our case, you know, you're always trying to manage, we've got all these different carboys and barrels and so on, and you're trying to manage every one of them full, and we ended up with a little bit of an overflow, about two and a half gallons of wine, and so I topped it off with nitrogen. But, you know, frankly, after weeks and weeks covered with nitrogen, it's going to escape. It's, it's it's escape. And, and uh, so I think that that, uh, what is now almost three gallons, I did eventually top it up when we did a later racking, but I was already sort of on to it. I was 
very careful not to mix what was suspect damaged oxidized wine with the rest of our wine because often we do recombine as we do our racking and then spread it back out. Very careful to keep this one separate. So, um, But not to the point of vinegar. Oh, no, no, no. We're not talking vinegar. We're talking about something that just does not taste like a wine. It's, as you said, lost its fruitiness. It's um, a bit on the uh, port-ish side. Now, you can also get an oxidized wine when your cork is uh, uh, poor in its integrity. So if a wine has gone through a lot of temperature variants um, or a lot of air pressure variants, you will get that sort of breathing in and out through the cork, and you can get the same oxidized flavor. So that's the number two defect. Now, the number three defect we, we actually experienced firsthand with our Merlot. And that number three defect is when you get a wine that is re-fermented. Now, this isn't necessarily the worst thing, but we had a, a problem, and we've talked about this on previous shows, and, and that is where we bottled our Merlot, 04 Merlot, and it had, because it was very low pH, about 3.00, very high acidity, it had uh, uh, not really gone through a full malolactic fermentation. Once in the bottle, the uh, tartaric acid precipitated out a little bit. You get those white crystals. Now the pH is a bit higher, a little bit more friendly environment for malolactic fermentation. Now you're converting lactic acid to malic acid, throwing off carbon dioxide. We've got a secondary fermentation. This can also happen, by the way, if you end up with too much residual sugar in your wine. Mm-hmm. And um, in that case, uh, we have a little same fizz in what should be oh, a flat. It's a, sort of a, a Merlot champagne. still wine. So you get that fizziness. Now, there is this one's a lot easier to fix. There's um, a quick fix to it. You pour it, decant it, let it breathe for a while. Or what we've been doing, we um, had a, a thirsty crowd on our ski trip this year in Telluride, Colorado. And so we took our, uh, we had a, a full magnum of Merlot. We opened it up, and then we just shook it a little bit. And then bubbles would fizz. We shake it a little bit more, keep your hand on top of it, don't do too much at a time. But frankly, over the course of about three minutes, we were able to degas the Merlot, and then it was really quite good. So that's a quick remedy to defect number three. I don't know if, if and, and we have played with the idea, if any of the, uh, the, the listeners tonight have seen the video of the, is it diet? Pepsi or Diet Coke and uh, Mentos? Diet, well, either one and either Mentos. Either one yeah, and Diet Mentos. soda Mentos. And the surface area of the Mentos just, just releases causing the a carbon lot dioxide to go carbon nuts. Dioxide. If there's another mm-hmm. way to get um, dissolved carbon dioxide out of wine, uh, other than what we've mentioned. And, now, we have, a good, we have a good question here, or a good thought. Um, I don't know if it was from Alpha King yeah, no, it was or from Alpha King. G. Pompa. Well, maybe both. But about about turning, if you do have some uh, uh, oxidized wine, into, uh, hey, make some great uh, wine vinegar out of it. That's a good idea. And we, we did accidentally make some vinegar, not out of one of our wines, but out of a wine bottle that I opened and then lost in the basement for uh, six, uh, six months. Well, now, Alpha King, Alpha King, are you um, enjoying something totally separate from the show or... Um, oh. Help us out here. Your help little us. experiments, your experiments with vinegar. <laughs> yeah, what happened? <laughs> Share it with us. Well, you lose a bottle and it turns to vinegar. That's it's great to recoup that. Yeah, no, we we actually um, 
you know, we're always managing hundreds of bottles in my basement at, at any one time. And I opened a bottle of uh, Jacob's Creek Shiraz. Ooh, and, that's uh, a vinegar. It's a great wine. Uh, yeah. And um, left it for probably about six months before I rediscovered it among all the bottles that we had down there. And we've got it actually here in the studio. It is a delicious vinegar. Actually, when this happens at Dave's house, he invites the whole neighborhood over for salad. <laughs> Which is, hey, that's what you should do. But it is some of the best wine vinegar I've ever had. It might be a little pricey, but it's great but it's so, wine vinegar. It's so acidic, though. It is. I mean, you're supposed to dilute wine with some water. So you get it down to 5% acetic acid. I mean, you've got to be, you know, you're up at 10% acetic acid. That's got to be major tart. That's an interesting point. So is that what they do with vinegar? They dilute it as opposed yes. to maybe adding sugar? Yes, I've made I've made wine vinegar, you know, and you have to have different mothers and all this, you know, it's a different mm. acetobacillus or what, I can't remember the bacteria you use, but they're different for the whites, the reds, malt vinegar. And um, you have to do a calculation as to how much acetic acid you want to turn out, you know, so you dilute it with water. Otherwise, I mean, it's like, it's one-to-one, ethanol to acetic acid. Someday we're going to have to get into these vinegars, although, you know, as a winemaker, pretty much you try to avoid them like the plague. Yeah, it's sort of hard to get to a vinegar in wine, I've, I've found. You know, the metabisulfite really keeps you from getting there. Yeah, yeah. no, you're absolutely right. And we've used a lot of metabisulfite, potassium metabisulfite, and that, that does help. Um, by the way, you asked the question about uh, bottling the wine relative to the vernal equinox, which maybe you were asking as a flip question, but I know there's this whole science, and I'm for, or not science, but uh, let's call it art or practice of, uh, what do they call that? It's not holistic winemaking, but there is a name for it when you're sort of in harmony with the elements in the moon and the sun. Yeah. You're not supposed to bottle wine before the, the spring equinox. Because it blooms again after the spring equinox. Which is why? I mean, is that a temperature thing? I, you know, I don't know what it is, but I can tell you I've gone through it. It's absolutely true. You know? Wait, wait, what, what <laughs> so happens? Usually it's the white see? wines. It's usually, you don't make many white wines, but... No, we're red wines, wine you know, guys. For, so let's... White wines don't have any... They don't have to be fine so much. They're pretty clear in, you know, February or March, you know, fermenting from September, and you want to get them done. You know, you want to get them a bottle. And and when you do that, before the equinox, you're going to get sparkling wine. And I, I've read it. I don't remember the specifics of it, but it really happens. So you wait until summer or the next fall to do it, and then you don't have it happen. Not that sparkling wine's bad, but you know it, it just blows the corks out. You know, it's not—it doesn't work very well. You don't now, know that. Now, now, Alpha King, I, I got to tell you something. You know, I've respected you so much all along in these guests and your insights, and you're—you're you're a man of science, and you're blowing me away with this this myth, vernal this, this, equinox this thing. Equinox thing. It's true. I mean, there's something about it. The spring brings a bloom of the east that's in the in the in the wine. Well, that's an interesting theory. See, I could see that the spring brings higher temperatures. And so in the past, mm-hmm. I mean, we make our wines in the basement. It's very temp- temperature-controlled. But it's, let's say you were maybe in a less temperature-controlled area. So now 
uh, spring is going to bring warmer temperatures, but spring then presumably is uh, causing a rebirth of the natural yeasts that are out there. So I, I don't think it has to do with the you know phases of the moon or anything, but just the general cycles of nature. I might might be able to buy in certain environments that it does affect your wine. So, but you're saying it's a temperature issue. Temperature and just available yeast in the environment. I don't buy that. Which is related yeah, to temperature. I don't buy that. But you didn't answer the question. When did you bottle the wine that this is, the Merlot? Did oh, you bottle uh, it before or after? No, no we were no, it it after, after. Definitely after. We, after. we got to that probably in uh, May or June, I would think. Yeah, it was early summer. So you, yeah. didn't have enough, you probably didn't have enough nutrients in there, so it didn't, it didn't really go to full... Fermentation. Uh, we had fully More fermented the. I, we had fully fermented the sugar, but we had not, uh, because of the um, intense acidity, we had not fully fermented from a, a malolactic uh, standpoint. Do you measure that? Do you ever go and measure the malic acid? You know what? We we haven't, and that's probably uh, we we have a source to do it. The, yeah, we do. The country yeah, wines have a, spectro- a spectrometer. And uh, it probably costs all of $2 to do it, but it's a matter of grabbing your wine and hauling it down there. We haven't. We've taken it sort of on faith. And frankly, that would work most of the time, but if you're in like a very low pH level, um, probably makes sense to go down there. Well, Alfred, it's something that you wouldn't have to take the wine if you wanted to do it. I think the place is called Acuvin, A-C-C-U-V-I-N. And I think they've got like a litmus paper type test where you can measure malic acid and not fiddle around with chromatography, which I've done in the past, or take it to some chemistry. That would be nice. I mean, we've... If you looked up Acuvin, if you looked up Acuvin on the web, I think you'd be able to find, I think you have malic acid and tartrate and something else. I haven't done it in a while, but I've got the kit. Yeah, actually, I just typed in Acuvin.com and it looks like they've got a bunch of quick tests, a leader yeah. in user-friendly wine chemistry tests. So cool! Um, and they they have a French homepage, a an Italian homepage, and a Spanish homepage. So we'll be. Um, I think we've we've pissed off the French and the Italians. We'll work from the Spanish homepage. Okay. <laughs> All right. So on to number four in terms of wine defects, and um, of course, refermented. It is. It's a matter of uh, just to finish up number three, making sure you have fully fermented your wine. Uh, to completion and uh, malolactic, as we were just talking about. But the, the malolactic is a tougher one to 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 check for. But it, before before we get off that, let, all well, right. let me just ask Alpha King one quick thing. Uh, Alpha King, have you had the problem with your wine being too way too acidic? And and what have you done in that situation to try too to acidic? I'm sorry. What do you what do you mean? Well, in terms of malic acid or yeah. Perfect. Well, or just way too low a pH. Or, or just way too low of a pH. Too much from a PA. Thing. Well, I think I emailed you. The, the Chardonnay juice I got this year was really... pH is 2.4. I mean, that's really like sort of strong acid. Yeah, what did you do the with tartrate, that? The tartrate was, um, tartrate was 1.4%. Which is almost double which, where you want to be. And so what I had to do... I mean, I've got it in the garage. I mean, it's 28 degrees here in Indiana tonight, so it started to flake out, but I put in a whole bunch of potassium bicarbonate, so it'll, it'll precipitate as cream of tartar. Now, do uh, you um, ever pick up any off flavors from that? We've, yeah. we've always been a little bit leery about dealing with wines that were overly acidic. 
I agree with you. I, I, I'm sort of leery, but, you know, that acid level is way too high for anything, anything good. And um, I'm hoping that with cold stabilization, the the flavor in there will change. It's, it's too young. It's only, you know, it's a month old now. It's not, I can't really tell. But that's what you're supposed to do. Potassium bicarb, I think, is better than using, what's the other stuff, Acidex? That sounds really ugly. It do does, and, and you referenced uh, cold stabilization where the idea is to bring your wine down into the 20 to 30 degree range and allow the tartaric acid, which is your predominant acid, to precipitate out. Yeah, you know, it's already snowing. It's already snowing in the wine. That's you impressive. You can see it's sort of, you know, it's such a high concentration, it's got to come out. Yeah, well, that's exactly what you're looking for, so it sounds like you're on, on the right path. The um, The fourth wine defect, just to keep going with the theme here, is uh, what is sometimes referred to as matterized, as in Madeira, or um, sometimes is referred to as cooked. And I think it depends on exactly when it happens. But this is the result of either bad wine storage, where you're allowing a wine to go through too uh, much temperature swing or too high an absolute temperature, or in the process of fermenting, where you allow the yeast to drive the temperature too high. And uh, frankly, since this is a home winemaking show, in general, we have aimed to keep our wine at 80 degrees or lower during fermentation. I've read some stuff lately where people you know, claim it's fine to go up to uh, 90 degrees. Uh, that, that's a bit scary to me. So we've always stayed in the 80 degree and lower range. Love to hear anyone who has experimented with um, you know, maybe some higher temperatures. Uh, on the um, you know, sort of post-fermentation side of the equation, I gave my uh, father a bottle of wine this summer as he was driving cross-country from Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Maine, and, uh, you know, it was in the trunk and went through some very high temperature swings, and that wine was essentially ruined. It probably got up to 90, 95 degrees, and, uh, you know, there you're going to uh, just end up with these sort of baked flavors. Um, it's going to taste like a, a Madeira or a port wine. Um, you know, fine if you are uh, talking about a, a dessert wine, but you know, in a dry wine, it's just going to it's going to be horrible. So, you know, those are the those are the big kinds of uh, mistakes or defects you can have in wine. And frankly, I think they afflict uh, professional winemakers as often as they afflict us home winemakers. In part because a professional doesn't necessarily control their bottle when it leaves their... Well, that's that's the big part to uh, being matterized. I mean, that that's where your importer or where you're purchasing your wine um, can be important if you're going to be buying some good wine. You don't you don't want something a case of wine that's been you know sitting on a loading dock somewhere, sitting out in the sun. That's always a concern for me. You know where you're actually buying some of the stuff, even if you're getting a good price. Now, how, I don't know how much you really don't have any control over that. You just have to develop a relationship with your um, uh, your broker. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, two questions that are coming in on uh, chat right now. Number one is, uh, you know, in home winemaking, what do you do about too little acid? That's the easiest problem to solve, if you ask me. You do want to test your uh, don't don't worry so much about pH at the beginning. Look at the uh, what's called TA, the titratable acidity, or sometimes called total acidity, but it's really technically uh, titratable acidity. Check that. Uh, we were dead on with our first batch of Cabernet this year, 
but we got a little later batch of the uh, Syrah. When wine is picked later, the uh, pH rises, the acidity drops, and so uh, we were a little low. We came in at uh, about 0.5 TA on our Syrah, and so we added, um, uh, if I remember correctly, it was 60 to 70 grams per 50 gallons. I'd have to go back and look at the actual numbers. We write all this stuff down and we do the math on it and we follow the formulas that the books tell us to. But um, the bottom line was we added some tartaric acid and we're able to bring the uh, the TA, TA of our red wine up to about 0.65, which is a beautiful range. If you leave your acid too low, you're going to end up with a wimpy wine. It's not going to have any backbone. It's not going to stand up. It's not going to you know have any body or boldness. So uh, that's um, that's a key thing. Also, on, what about H2S, Dave? Do you guys ever run into an H, uh, H2S problem? You know, we've never had that. I'm I'm thankful to say, uh, Jerry. I see also Mike uh, chatted that um, you have an issue with uh, uh, grapes that are too high in sugar. Uh, two approaches if you're too high in sugar. Um, first of all, um, you know, you're aiming typically for 22.5 to 24.5 bricks or percent sugar. We've had wine that's gone as high as 26 or maybe even close to 27% sugar. And as long as you're okay with you're making a big, bold red wine and you're okay with it being, um, you know, pretty heavy on the alcohol, uh, you know, go for a, a yeast that will be yeah, tolerant. Yeah, get a ballsy yeast. Right, That's exactly. Right. So there, a lot of yeast will die out at 14% alcohol, which will not be, um, you know, fully fermenting your sugars. So you want a yeast that's going to survive to 16, or they make yeast even that will go to 18% um, alcohol. So get good if you get these grapes that are very high in sugar to start with, make sure you're fermenting with the right yeast. Um, We've not had a problem with the uh, H2S, the hydrogen yeah, sulfide. Yeah, we really haven't. And I'm not really sure, you know, We're, sort of how luck, why we've gotten lucky, but that is sort of the uh, the the sulfury or rotten egg smell that you'll get off of wine. And uh, the one guy, what would, be, what would be the the most common uh, problem that would lead to that? You know, I I, I don't, uh, I really don't we really know. We haven't had to deal we, with we it. We haven't had to deal with uh, it. Uh, sorry, it's, um, they're grapes. Grapes that are grown in stringent conditions that don't have enough nutrients. You mean what happens, what happens is they are in, deficient in methionine, which is a sulfur-containing containing amino acid. And so they steal that, and they generate H2S. The yeast do. So that's what you have to throw in the fermate and all the yeast hulls and all that kind of stuff. Very, very important part of making wine, which it's hard to get at as you're a home winemaker because you can't make the measurements of, um, it's called Y-A-N capital, they're all capital letters, which just has to do with how much nitrogen is in the in the must. Well, so uh, Alpha King, I think what you're getting to is that one of the ways to make sure that you don't end up with this is, uh, well, first of all, you want to deal with a, a reputable grape supplier, so you're getting good quality grapes to start with. But secondly, you do want to provide the yeast with the proper nutrients, uh, a Firmate or GoFirm or something like that, at the right stage in the process. And depending on the specific product you're using, that could be either 
right off the bat or as much as uh, three, four, five days into fermentation. So it's important to pay attention to that. I've right. also what I've used, what I've used is again learning from past experiences. There was a place called the Wine Lab, which is, gosh, I want to say Sebastopol or Napa in California, and they sell nutrients, but they have a great catalog that has a bunch of tables about how you figure out what to do and how you do it. And really it involves adding yeast nitrogen, which is usually the fermate and all those other things, or go firm, and diaminophosphate at the time that you have the must. Then when you have active fermentation, you add it again, depending upon how much nitrogen is in there. And then as it gets halfway through the fermentation, you add it yet again. And you add vitamins to it. <laughs> and there is yet another group of nutrients and vitamins meant to help the leuconostochenos, the maloactive bacteria, to go at the end of fermentation. It's kind of very useful if you go to the wine lab and just look at these things. It's very useful and easy to get at. I think not too hard to figure out. Yeah. What uh I I wonder what you could look for in the in the fruit itself um if you to to try to, you know, make sure this doesn't happen either yeah, the in home tasting or the, either really. in tasting or testing. I mean, Boy. uh that that starts to get a pretty pretty complicated. Well, I mean, you have you to get, you have to you trust you're getting stuff. some good fruit, but I wonder if there's anything you could sort of quickly check on that to make sure that it wasn't deprived in no. any way. No, I don't have a remedy like I did for the malic acid that I just mentioned. Um, it's, it's sort of difficult to figure it out. Yeah, I, the one go thing by, I go by where the grape comes from. So you, yeah. you get this stuff from Collingwood. If he's giving you Central Valley grapes, I would think it's deficient. If you're getting a rope, you know, you're getting one of his super-duper Napa Valley Cabernets or whatever, it's probably in a better environment, probably not so deficient in, in those types of things. And therefore, you wouldn't have to supplement so much. Well, so it's Here not, where it's, I am, if I get grapes from like southwestern Michigan, I always assume they're deficient in nitrogen. Yeah, always. I was going to say, it, it sounds like th this isn't something that's even a, uh, um, a vintage issue. It's just literally where these things are being grown, and, and it's, you're going to know that ahead of time. So... It sounds right. like if you're if you're buying from a, a good a good broker who's getting you great fruit from a known area, this may not be so much of an issue, which is maybe why we haven't had the problem. Well, I think that's part of it. I, I also talked to a gentleman uh, in Chicago who is uh, dealing with this problem, and he said he had a lot of luck with a, a particular copper compound that he added to his uh, to his wine to deal with the uh, hydrogen sulfide. So, oh yeah, um, yeah, you can get rid of sulfide either by by splashing it, I mean, that's what they talk about, where you just splash it back and forth and you replace it with oxygen. Yep. Or you can do the copper sulfate technique. Yeah, you can do that. Exactly. So I think those are two ways to go. And just to complete the thought on, you know, what do you do if your uh, grapes are too high in sugar and maybe maybe you've even added your yeast and started fermenting without realizing it uh, and you're heading towards the problem, the best way to deal with that is, is amelioration with water. Um, we we actually did this one year with one of our uh, acidulated water, acidulated. Uh, sorry, Alpha King, what what would that be? 
you'd want to dilute the acid. So what you do is you make um, a 0.7% um, solution of tartaric acid in water. Yeah, in our case, we were just trying to, we had the right acidity level, and we were just trying to bring down the sugar level. And so it was just straight adding of water. We added about... Uh, you add, but when you went add water, you dilute the acid. That's true. Uh, our our water, we measure the, uh, the pH level, and the pH level on our... Uh, water is um, about uh, eight, and and of course you're aiming at the uh, acid level um, or, or pH level in the wine at about three point uh, you know five, let's say. So you're right. You have to watch what happens when you add the um, the water to the wine, and you may have to therefore boost it with uh, tartaric acid, as you're saying. We were able to add uh, approximately four percent water. To, and I think it goes back to our Merlot that we had some problems with. I'd have to go back to our notes. But you add water to your um, to your must, and you're now diluting the um, percentage of sugar with water, and you're giving your yeast a chance to survive to a full uh, fermentation. And frankly, in the end, our wine didn't it didn't suffer from being a thinner wine or, or whatever. It, it really was a beautiful wine, and compared to the risk of not uh, having a full fermentation, I think this is a great way to go. So I saw uh, Jerry and Mike exchanging comments out there. If you guys have already started your fermentation with a very high sugar grape, um, add some water early on in the process. Uh, readjust your uh, TA, uh, as Alpha King suggests, and uh, you're probably on uh, on the right track to a good product. Yeah, and Mike Mike brings up once you have that uh, H2S problem, it's it's no fun trying to get rid of it. And I, I'd have problems adding these copper solutions, all these things. To me, uh, we're talking about such a wonderful process of winemaking that you're really getting into metals and a lot of junk here. I if I if I had something start smelling like rotten eggs. I'd give it to you, Dave. <laughs> you're, you're so kind. Um, you can buy, You can have all of it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I bottle it, make sure it got back your way. Um, I, I think that, though, gets to the idea of um, use a very good quality uh, that, grape to start with. You're not going to deal with that problem. So yeah, that, um, that, probably uh, the, the key, uh, if you're in the home wine making business, i got to get back to don't worry about the cost of your grapes. That That's the one place not to skimp. I mean, use recycled bottles, use lower quality corks, or go to screw caps, which are half the price of corks. There's a million ways to save money, um, but uh, don't don't skimp on the grapes. And also use potassium, not sodium, metabisulfite. Yeah, don't worry about sure. saving the dollar there. Well, hey, that's um, that's it for our Halloween show. I think we've covered the basics, the four uh, key defects to avoid in wine. You want to watch out for the uh, the corked flavors, and I think we are really tilting towards being more bottle cap or maybe this glass top uh, kind of guy. Um, you want to watch out for the uh, the uh, oxidization. That's always a um, a big problem. The uh, the cooked flavors or the maturation. Uh, am I saying that uh, properly? Uh, and um, of course, the uh, sort of messing up your fermentation or your re-fermentation, or fizz, yes. yeah, not getting a full fermentation, ending up with residual sugar. That's that's a, a clear killer for a red wine. Even a very small amount of residual sugar will be very disappointing to you in a red wine. Yeah. Yeah. So, Which, by uh, the way, the only wine I've ever returned—well, I have returned one bottle of red wine, but it has been white wine at a restaurant. 
some I've purchased some pretty good bottles that um had some fizz with some refermentation. Right. And and that one that one's a no brainer. I mean anyone can tell that there's some fizz in it and there shouldn't be. So they've had no problem taking those back. By the way, in our next show uh, Alpha King, you'll be interested in this. I have found an article on some legal issues with using egg whites for fining. Oh, oh man. Yes, if you believe it. Does this relate to the whole raw milk movement as well? Um, oh, no. No, it doesn't. It's not quite <laughs> it has as bad nothing as you to think. But lack of pasteurization. This but is just to make sure we have folks tune in again. <laughs> <laughs> What a beautiful Stay teaser you've, you've laid out for us. That's uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, passionate one. Any uh, closing thoughts on the day here? Uh, just that our um, outer book actually opened up pretty nicely. It, it was um, it, it was a little disappointing for you know paying more than twelve dollars. You know how I am with that. But um, it, it actually, I think it's opened up very nicely. And it being an O2, you know, it's a few years older than we might typically have, and uh, for for our virtual or online tasting. And so, I I'm uh, actually pretty happy with it. How was the '88 Ravenswood Alpha King? It's very good. The percent is actually better. Did did it crash at all? I mean, after a little while, that's my concern with it. Then that old. No, no, it's a real big wine. Oh. It's got a lot of tannins in it, you know, through a big sediment in the bottle. Oh, wonderful. Cool. Hey, uh, before we wrap up here, Jerry, any um, closing thoughts? I guess you're working on your um, your new Cabernet that you've just obtained from Carl the Great Man. How's that going? Oh, I am so excited to find out how this wine goes this year with you guys. Yeah, it's uh, we're, we're happy with it. It's pretty hot, though. We're talking about, what, 28 bricks? Oh, are you kidding? Seriously. Wow. Um, 20, somewhere around 27 to 28. We've wow. never had one quite that high, but I would say think very seriously about either getting the right yeast into it or um, get some water into it right now, or you're going to be very disappointed. It will not ferment right. uh, all that sugar. So um, deal with that uh, up front, or you got, um, you've got real problems. 28. What, wow. was our, what was our cab? It was right around 25, wasn't it? Yeah, we were around 25. Yeah, which was which uh, is about as high as yeah, we I'm thought, comfortable uh, going. With. Yeah, we thought that was pretty high. Yeah, this is this is it, it's it's over twenty seven. It's not quite twenty eight. It's over twenty seven. The um, the Merlot, fortunately, is uh, is like twenty four to twenty five in that range. Mm. Twenty five. Well, one other idea for you. We did um, we did throw some of our uh, Cab and Merlot together. Uh, ideally, you'd like to maintain the flexibility of blending post fermentation, but. You need to get it done, so uh, that's one other way to go. To, what yeast, do you have a recommendation on a high alcohol yeast? Um, you know what? Why don't you? Uh, I would say email me, Jerry, because right. I do. I do have a list. I don't have it here in the studio, but I do have a list of uh, yeasts that will go up to an 18% alcohol level, whereas most of them die off at 14%, which is about 25. Um, 25 okay. bricks will lead you to 14%. So, um, Jerry. I'd be happy to recommend some things via email. Hey, remember, y'all can join us uh, live on uh, Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. That's 2 a.m. GMT. We are the Cellar Dwellers, and you can email us at cellardwellers at talkshoe.com. And uh, we'd love to have you dial into the show as uh, Jerry and Alpha King, Mike, and... uh, Mr. Some Dude from Australia. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Please, you could join us tonight. Uh, 
Randy, Brian, Tommy, uh, Alex, Jeffrey, um, new listener I haven't uh, uh, seen before. No, the legend, we, we know him. He's going to bring us uh, 62 Bordeaux, and he's really going to be the legend. That is, that's and, true. Uh, <laughs> I don't know this one, uh, Beard uh, DJ, uh, B Air DJ. Okay, maybe as in on the air DJ, B Air DJ. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, we were pleased to have all you listening to the show. It's been a um, a blast, and uh, we hope you can come back uh, next week. With that, uh, any uh, closing remarks here, passionate one? No, just don't get spooked tonight. It's been a beautiful Enjoy Halloween show. Enjoy making this wine. This is a great time. Uh, we will be hopefully pressing for the next show. I hope we will. We'll be back to report in uh, two weeks how it went. Have a good night. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. You know, why don't you play this recording through cheesecloth? <laughs> I really should. It doesn't I mean, it's sound... about the only thing that will make it sound uh, worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it sounds better on the recording. Hey... Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.